0: 2023 is the North Carolina Year of the Trail. It's also the 100th anniversary of the Carolina Mountain Club. I thought the timing was right to gather leaders of local trail advocacy organizations to talk about their work, their challenges, and what's ahead.
1: We have definitely seen increased use of the trails and frankly not everyone that is out on the trails for the first time understands the principle of leave no trace. So we're seeing a lot of trash to be picked up and Blown around, etc. People cutting trails, cutting the corners of trails because they don't understand that we want people to stay on the trail and not wandering around the woods and trampling the environment.
0: I'm Matt pikin and this is The Overlook, a daily podcast about the news, arts, issues, and trends of Asheville, North Carolina. My guests today are Tom Weaver, president of the Carolina Mountain Club, Rebecca Robinson, the assistant director of programs for Conserving Carolina, and Marsha Bromberg, president of the board of the Friends of the Mountains to Sea Trail. Some of their work intersects and overlaps. They all work in concert and at times in some friction with local government governments, and state and national forest officials. They also depend on engaging networks of volunteers to develop and maintain many hundreds of miles of trails in Western North Carolina and many hundreds beyond. If you've spent any time on Tinder or Bumble, you know this scenario. You're on a blind date, and it goes horribly wrong. I mean, horribly in a way you just can't get out of. That's the premise of Some Notes on Dating During Outbreak, a new stage play from Asheville playwright Travis Lowe premiering through the Sublime Theater. It's got a fancy restaurant, two hopeful people, and an entrapment by quarantine. What more could you ask for? Some Notes on Dating During Outbreak opens July 13th, and runs nine performances at the BB Theater in downtown Asheville. For tickets and information, go to thesublimetheater.org. I began the conversation by asking each of my guests about their missions and how their work has evolved. Rebecca Robinson is the first to speak.
2: Our mission is to conserve natural resources, but we are well aware that the most important part of that is making people aware of what nature means, what it's like to experience it, and to form a connection with it. We first got into trail development and management kind of as a side benefit of a conservation project that we were working on. Many people are familiar with Bearwallow Wallow Mountain Trail. That was our first trail that we developed and still one of our most popular. And we were working on a larger conservation project with the private landowners that own the mountain there. It's over 400 acres that are permanently conserved. And people had historically hiked up the fire tower road for many years to the top of the mountain. And so we and the landowners and the folks who used that road to get to various towers at the top wanted to get people off the road. And so we built a trail And then over time, land trusts all over the country have struggled with at least being perceived and in many cases were somewhat elitist. They attracted older, wealthier people, and many land trusts have been working to change that. But that was how we got into trails and outdoor rec more broadly to to connect with more diverse audiences.
0: Marcia, your organization handles more than 1,000 miles of trail. Was Friends of the MST developed as the MST was blazed?
3: So the MST was conceived in 1977 and was given a nod by the state to happen. And trail building began where opportunity existed, where there were already some trails that could be improved. And the idea was to have a trail that stretched from the mountains, and in this case, Klingman Dome on the border with Tennessee, all the way to the ocean. And again, the ocean is Jockey Ridge. Um, on the Atlantic Ocean, and to connect across the state over time to build this trail, this continuous trail, so that people could enjoy the natural and cultural resources of the state.
0: I want to tell people that there is a really great documentary series that was produced about the MST and the founding of it and the development through it. So you said it started with looking at Klingman's Dome and looking east. That seems really ambitious and unknowing in a sense, like there must have been pockets of individual trails that were already being used. And there was a central visionary who thought, let's connect the dots here.
3: There were several visionaries. The first was Howard Lee, who proposed the idea of a trail from the mountains to the sea, or called the mountains to the ocean, in 1977 at a trails symposium. And he was the secretary of natural and cultural resources for the state at that time. And he had to go back and tell the governor what he had done. And then individuals latched on to this and started saying, yeah, we can do this. And the state said, fine, do whatever you're going to do. So they, exactly as you said, they looked at opportunities such as the Trail Through the Mountains, where the shut-in trail already existed, is now part of the Mountains to Sea Trail, where trails that were part of the old railroad logging, the logging railroads existed to make them part of the trail. And other parts of the states and the towns and the cities, like in Raleigh and in Durham and in Greensboro, where pathways and greenways existed, make them part of the trail. But the idea of actually doing this was one that was going to be many years in the making.
0: What's crazy to me about this, you said it was proposed to the state and the state said, sure, go ahead. I can't imagine in politics today that any legislative body would say, sure, go ahead and just abdicate responsibility and just say, we're not going to control this. Go ahead and do this. Tell me now, is Friends of the MST made up almost entirely of volunteers who just want to step up and take care of the trail?
3: It is a state trail. It's a state park, and it's part of the state parks. Initially, we had to negotiate with every group that we passed through every the lands that we passed through. You brought this up yourself. We passed through national forests. We passed through national park. We passed through state parks. We passed through municipalities. So any work we did had to be in conjunction with those lands that we passed through, and we did not build on private lands, so initially. And the state was keeping an eye on us, even though we were not a state park until 2000, We were not part of the state park system in 2000. They were keeping an eye on us. And so we worked with them as closely as we could, not always in a good relationship, but recently in a great relationship. They've been very supportive. And the same has been true, and Tom can tell you a little bit more, of working with national parks, national forests. Sometimes it's very easy. Sometimes it's a little challenging because of the rules and regulations that they have to abide by. So we've always been in these relationships and looked for opportunities. Opportunity, low-hanging fruit, so to speak. So the town of Elkin loves having a trail there. So we've worked very well with Elkin in getting the trail built through that area with their support, their help, and their fundraising, and their cheering us on, where other municipalities, other places, haven't been quite as friendly to us.
0: That's a really interesting, too, in the sense that You can have an idea of where you want this trail to go for the convenience of hikers and others who would use this trail. It's not open to mountain bikers. And at the same time, you're dealing with all these different municipalities and government agencies and saying that some are easier to deal with than others. Did that dictate the path or has that dictated the path of the trail to some degree just by working through or around different bureaucracies?
3: Definitely to some degree. The in broad strokes the idea of how the trail would go was developed early on and Alan Dehart and Jim Halsey were people who really who were very big advocates and helped plan the possible route of the trail. But that changes as we get as the rubber hits the road and we get to actually build trail, it doesn't necessarily end up exactly where we thought it was going to be. And at this point, probably about sixty, sixty-five percent of the trail is off-road. Or it might be a greenway, but it's a tra- what you would think of as a trail, and the rest is still on road.
0: Really, it's interesting because in this region, it's all on trail. Correct in the western North Carolina. Tom, your club is a century old. What was the genesis of Carolina Mountain Club? The purpose it served then, and how have things evolved to today?
1: We actually were part of a club from the Appalachian Trail up in New England, the Appalachian Mountain Club, for about six years, formed in. 1920 and through those early years we realized that 80 percent or more of our annual dues were going up north to finish that part of the trail and so our club broke away and formed the carolina mountain club was hiking as big as it is today
0: and people flock here to for these trails was it the same a century ago
1: here certainly there were lots of hikers out there it was more of upper echelon folks hiking that had the time to go out and do hiking It certainly evolved over time to a much broader audience, but early on it was a more restrictive audience. We broke away from the Appalachian Mountain Club and we learned several things from them. First of all, how to lead a professional hike. So we scout our hikes ahead of time. We have hike leaders that are trained, wilderness first aid and that sort of thing. On our hikes, we always lead. We have a sweep that follows behind, make sure everyone is gathered up and not lost. And we, the Appalachian Mountain Club from way back welcomed people across all, all races and genders, et cetera. There were actually more women than men at one point in the Carolina Mountain Club early on.
0: So now there's no trail development. It's all about hiking education and guidance?
1: No, that's not right. We have three main purposes, and we've held those for the last 100 years. First is hiking. Second is trail building and trail maintenance. And third is conservation. So we get involved in any conservation efforts here in Western North Carolina.
0: It sounds like all three of your organizations, to some degree, do trail development, trail conservation. Who decides whose turf is what? There's such overlapping missions. And Marsha, you wanted to speak to that.
3: We have districts where we have groups that we work with. Sometimes it's formal groups, and sometimes it's just groups of people who go out and build and maintain. We have we use the Carolina Mountain Club as our mountain group, and we have I think 145, 150 miles of the mountains to sea trail is maintained and has been built by the Carolina Mountain Club. In most areas, we don't have clubs or formal groups that do this. We have a trail manager. We have a task force leader, and they have a group of people, and they plan their work, and they coordinate with the local bodies that they have to coordinate with, and then they meet as a group to confer with each other to see what the issues are. We raise money, the friends raise money for tools, for any support that they need to get their work done, but they are in charge of the actual building maintaining of their local trails so that this is true all the way across the state
0: the way you're speaking of this makes it sound like the mst is still in development it is that's interesting because i you would think after all this time it's fixed what is being developed and where in what pockets are is the trail still evolving
3: A lot of the Piedmont is not done, and we're working on that. And then the main part that's not done is the Coastal Crescent. Initially, the trail was conceived to go down the Neuse River, either on the river or alongside of it. And it it became clear that we were not going to be able to build trail there. So we conceived the idea of the Coastal Crescent, which dips way down into some of those counties that nobody knows about. I certainly didn't, in the southeastern part of the state. And it brings trail, and there's a lot of public land down there, which makes it very nice in terms of building trail. Towards Wilmington, and then back up the coast, and a lot of that is very new, so we 've been working wherever there 's opportunity. we build trail wherever we can make friends and we can find a town or municipality, a county that 's interested in having trail built. but we had a big gift two years ago when the state allocated twenty nine million dollars for trails, and this is like totally off the top. There were some funds that trails could, trail building and trail maintaining could use for their work. But this is a fund that is nothing for nothing but the groups of state trails and state waterways. And this money has been split among the many of them. And us being the longest, we've gotten a big chunk of money off the top. Plus there's a a fund of $10 million to buy land to use for trail building. So we're using all of that. We have plans where the best ideas, where the best possibilities are to build trail. We work with the state to see if they agree with it. They have to approve these projects for which we're using their money. And again, as you noted, not much of that is going to be in the mountains because our part is built. But we, through the p especially in the Coastal Crescent.
2: The fund that she's referencing is only available to designated state trails, of which there are, I think it's 12 or 13 yeah now and so those are designated state trails that are managed a local nonprofit or in some cases maybe government in partnership with state parks as she referenced earlier and so conserving carolina is the nonprofit partner for the Hickory Nut Gorge State Trail. So that's where we're actively building trail with those funds. From ah, the state.
0: Okay. So you're getting to a question I had at the very genesis of wanting to talk with all three of you, which is about whose turf is what? Because there isn't, a, other than the MST already being mapped, in a sense, there's, I would think, Carolina Mountain Club and Conserving Carolina might potentially want to develop trails in the same area if you haven't already.
2: We actually worked together when we were just starting out with the Bear Wallow Mountain Trail with a crew from the Carolina Mountain Club. They came and helped us build it and do some of the initial, initial maintenance until we were able to recruit our own volunteer group that we have today, the Rock Crushers, which are our trail volunteers.
0: So, Tom, then do all of your organizations look actively at what each other is doing and seeing where can we be of help in what these current projects are or do you look for your own unique pieces of land to develop into trails
1: yeah i wouldn't say we are out on the tip of the spear looking for trails to develop we have 440 miles of trails that we take care of some of that is rebuilding the trail so marsha mentioned the mountains the sea trail mostly finished in this area but some of that trail, most of that trail was built 40, 50 years ago, and we're rehabilitating trail all the time. When we can't get to the Appalachian Trail, the 95 miles of Appalachian Trail, or the 150 miles of the Mountains to Sea Trail, in the winter particularly, when the parkway is closed, we look for other lower elevation opportunities, and certainly Bear Wallow Mountain was one of them. The Trombadour Trail we helped build for Conserving Carolina, we've worked on Pacolet property as well as, as well as Florence Preserve. So we are out building trail. We have 10 different trail crews out every week. 1,100 people in our club, probably 300 of them are out any given time during the week or during a month doing some trail maintenance and trail work. To answer your question, with the new Forest Service Plan, Forest Plan that you saw from the Nantahala and the Pisgah, There's a lot of pressure today on trails, a lot of pressure to build new trails. We will be, with our reputation preceding us, we will be part of that discussion for new trails. We aren't necessarily going out advocating for new trails, but we will be the club that builds these trails. We have agreements with three different forest service and five different ranger districts and a list of all the trails that we maintain, all the hiking only trails that we maintain.
0: You just mentioned something that speaks to the unwieldy nature of this. There are three forest services that you're working with, five ranger
1: districts? Yeah, three national forests, the Cherokee National Forest in Tennessee, because part of our trails weave in and out of North Carolina along the border, the Nantahala Forest, as well as the Pisgah Forest, and then five ranger districts, one each in the Cherokee and the Nantahala and three different ranger districts in the Pisgah National Forest.
0: That speaks to a certain bureaucracy that you all have to work with. All of your work, it's mission-driven. This is the federal government. You have state agencies. And Marsha, you alluded a little bit ago to some of it can be challenging. What are the greatest challenges that come just with having to work within, you have your missions, but you have to answer to, or at least be in response to regulations and restrictions put on by the federal government and state agencies. Can any of you speak to what you're having to work with on the ground?
3: Each of these agencies, each of these organizations has their own r- rules and regulations they need to follow. The, I think the federal ones are more complex than the state ones, but the state ones often fall within what the federal regulations are. So the studies that need to be done beforehand, both the cultural, historical, and environmental studies, all have to be done beforehand before a trail can be laid. For us, if it's a, as part of a state trail, even though we build a trail, even though it's been approved by the state to build it where it's supposed to be built, it's not an official... St- part of the state trail until they approve it at the end of the process.
0: And you could be talking about years, right, in terms of when you're looking at environmental studies, cultural studies to see if there are culturally sensitive artifacts in certain places. Mm -hmm. So the conception of where a trail might be versus the reality of it happening, that could be years apart.
3: Absolutely, and some of them have taken, and especially in the mountains. I remember, I hear stories about how long it took to build the Mountains to Sea Trail from Rotter Rock Knob, which was years and years of trying to deal with some environmental Issues that were up there, protecting the environment is what it really was. So it took years to come to an agreement about where that trail should be. And now it was there all the time, but it took a long time to do that. And we find that throughout the state. Plus, our state partners, for sure, it's all true for our federal partners as well, they want to do the best for us. They try really hard. And I know we've worked very closely with the state recently. And these are good people that want this trail to be built. But they have higher-ups that they look to, and they have rules. and regulations. They need to abide by. So sometimes they'll come to us and say, we hate to tell you this, but we just found out, blah, 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 whatever the new thing is. And we just all roll our eyes and roll up our sleeves and try to work together to make it happen. But I do want to mention that all the state trails belong to a great state trails coalition. So as this funding came from the state, we banded together so that we wouldn't be fighting with each other for funding, that we wouldn't be fighting with each other for resources, that we would work cooperatively and collaboratively to use these funds to the best of all of our abilities. And I think that's gone extremely well.
0: Getting word out about your big event is tricky and challenging. You can boost a post on social media, but gaming the algorithm is guesswork. Broadcast and print outlets totally exaggerate their numbers, and there's no way to verify their audience. But I can tell you exactly the number of people listening to The Overlook and where they're based. Most important, my audience is actively listening. Look, that's you right now paying attention. And you can promote your fundraiser or arts event to other smart dialed-in Nashville people for as little as $40 an episode. Find out more by going to podavl.com slash advertise. What has the increased use of trails done to heighten the work that you are doing on the ground?
1: Yeah, so one of our mottos is keep the people on the trail and the water off the trail. With increased use, we're seeing a lot more trail damage, people widening trails by walking around water water puddles or whatever. You can see lots of articles in the press about max patch and how that was overrun during the COVID period when college students weren't allowed to gather in groups and somehow the word got out, max patch. And so there were hundreds of tents up there and we put together a visitor use program to educate the public. We have trail ambassadors out there every week educating the public. We've put in a camping ban with the assistance of the Appalachian Trail Conservancy and the U.S. Forest Service. That ban has just been extended. It was a two-year ban expiring at the end of this month. It's now going to be three additional years. We have definitely seen increased use of the trails, and frankly, not everyone that is out on the trails for the first time understands the principle of leave, leave no trace. So we're seeing a lot of trash to be picked up and blown around, etc. People cutting trails, cutting the corners of trails because they don't understand that we want people to stay on the trail and not wandering around the woods and trampling the environment.
0: Is this Uh, the kind of behavior that Was happening anyway, just by a certain percentage of hikers. But now that we're seeing more people out on the trails, it's just happening to a greater degree, not necessarily a greater percentage of hikers doing this. Or is it what do you think is? I think it's
1: a combination It's definitely to a greater degree, because, again, people that have never been out in nature, never been out on trails don't understand this. So uh, an increase in hikers and I think an increase in hikers that don't have the experience and don't have the love of nature that we have and, and understand the leave-no-trace principle.
0: Rebecca, are you seeing the same thing on the trails conserving Carolina managers? Yes,
2: definitely. With the pandemic, use just exploded, and of course no one was prepared for that. So all of that, also parking, but the Hickory Nut Gorge trails in particular, <laughs> it's steep terrain, parking, it's not flat, parking is limited. And people were getting a little creative with their parking and offending the people that live there and need to get by. And just general trail etiquette, I think with dogs off leash and cleaning up after your dog, all that stuff.
0: So what kind of education efforts or intervention efforts are your organizations doing and how effective or not have they been?
2: We're doing more signage at the trailheads and trying to use less words and more pictures and graphics. We also have some Spanish language signs going on at some of our trailheads. And then we do a lot of work in some of the local schools and take several schools every year. We take them up Bear Wallow Trail for a hike and talk about conservation and also Leave No Trace ethics and trail etiquette.
1: Yeah, I would say three things briefly. I mentioned Max Patch and our trail ambassadors. We have now nearly 30 people trained as trail ambassadors. They wear a uniform. They have no legal rights to to fine anyone for violations, but they're out there every weekend educating the public. Secondly, our trail workers are out on trails every day but Sunday doing trail work, and we stop hikers and talk to them and help educate them. Thirdly, our counselor for outreach and education has done a great job of continuing to put forth the leave-no-trace principles. So we're actually monitoring trash at different trailheads on different trails over the years to look to see if our education efforts are making any progress
0: your organizations, all of yours really depend on volunteers for on the ground work. You just mentioned in terms of your ambassadors on the trails and there are people who are, I see with pickaxes and others. I remember when I joined friends of the MST, when I first started hiking here on the MST and I joined and I got a call, quick call. Would you like to volunteer to build trails? I said, the trails would be worse by having me with a pickaxe out there doing it, but I so appreciate. And that's why I give to, to that organization for all of that. I'm wondering, is there a typical volunteer, Marsha?
3: I think if you went back a long way, you'd see that the typical volunteer was a guy. But our we, we have all men, we have women, we have groups that come out. While we, in certain, for us, because we're across the strait, in certain areas, we do have challenges finding volunteers, and certainly not in the mountains, because the Carolina Mountain Club has, has that covered. In certain areas, and in the, around the towns and the cities and so on, we have groups of volunteers. But some of the, I talk about the coastal crescent, getting people there where there's not just not many people, we do have some problems getting people to volunteer. But they do everything, and they, we, during this, especially near the cities, they go out and do trash pickups and at the same, just as Tom mentioned, as they see people, as they see hikers and walkers, they try to educate them what the trail is. And I just want to add one thing. While people have voluntarily been coming out on the trails and hiking more, especially since COVID, we've been working hard to bring people out on the trails and into the woods who haven't been there. And that's part of our diversity initiative, that there are groups of people of color who have felt uncomfortable in the woods and uncomfortable on trails. So part of our mission is to make sure that everybody feels welcome and to begin to reach out to groups that might be hesitant to hike and might be hesitant to go into the woods. We want them there, and we want to teach them how to be on the trail and how to feel comfortable there and to make sure that what we do and the people they encounter are as welcoming.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because I know that's something that, from my vantage, and it's just observational, you don't see a lot of people of color hiking very much. And that might be a stereotype, but it's just observational. And you just mentioned efforts you're having to do or wanting to do your organization is to increase diversity is it just as simple as talking to people approaching different community groups who work with communities of color and introducing the trail system to them what kind of efforts go into and what can be done to show that the trails are literally open to all and welcome to all
3: it's not simple, and I think a lot of it is the building the trust. Finding groups of people who don't want on the trail, whether they're people of color, whether they're Latinos, you know, whoever, that might feel uncomfortable on the trail. Reaching out to them and building a relationship and encouraging people. And it really works well if you start with children, which is something the Carolina Mountain Club is doing. They've really reached out to children and children of diverse groups to make sure they're out on the trail. But it's, it takes a long period of time to build that trust and to make sure if people do want to be with you and feel comfortable. And a lot of it we've learned is meeting people where they are, not saying, hey, we're here, come with us. It's a saying, is there something we can do together, and what would that thing be, and how we, can we help you do it, and how can we put, be part of whatever your activity is? And if it's nothing more to say, let's, there's this historical area that the trail passes through, and we're doing this with the Bentonfield battlefield in the eastern part of the state, we're building this trail through a battlefield. You should. We want people to know about it. We're going to put some historical markers up there. Will you join us to walk it and see what we're missing in putting the historical markers together? So it's a lot... It's not simple. It takes a lot of time and a lot of trust building.
0: And you're speaking to some of the cultural sensitivity work that we mentioned exactly. earlier. Tom, Marcia just mentioned the work you're doing, your organization does with young people. Talk about some of that, the specific programs in working with youth and what goes in, into educating them, not just about using trails responsibly, but just how just to see the trail system as part of their everyday ecosystem.
1: Yeah, Matt. Part of our vision is to have the volunteer membership of our club look like the general population out there. We're not even close today. We started a diversity and inclusion effort several years ago. We're behind. We're learning from other nonprofit organizations that are ahead of us. And one of the things we did was a youth partner challenge and working with schools. Schools have field trips and talking to teachers. So Marcia mentioned trust. I think it starts with building a relationship. And so we have retired teachers in our volunteer ranks that have relationships with schools. They go to the schools and convince them that we should have an outing for their fifth grade students, for example. And they may come out and just simply do hiking and learn what we do, or they may come out and pick up tools and help us to understand what it takes to build and maintain a trail.
0: Before we wrap up, I want each of you to talk about the things that are top of mind for your organizations right now. Rebecca, start with Conserving Carolina.
2: We work not only on backcountry-esque hiking trails, but all kinds of outdoor rec. And we're also very invested in greenways that might be more inclusive to people that have less lower comfort level in the woods, so to speak. So we've been working on the Acoustic Trail and hopefully soon the Saluda Grade Rail Trail, which will be more than 50 miles of greenways in our region. It'll be a multi-purpose paved trail for recreation, but also hopefully for commuting for some people for transportation, alternative transportation routes.
0: Marsha, what's happening on the MST that in western North Carolina that people here should be aware of or could even be involved in?
3: In Western North Carolina, I would encourage people to, one, go out and hike. And I understand that sometimes in the summer, especially, it seems crowded. But if you look carefully, there are parts of the Mountains to Sea Trail that nobody goes to. I lead hikes. I lead two hikes a quarter for the club. And I have places that we might run into one person. So to for people to look carefully and find those secret spots, and this is true throughout the trails. You just have to look a little bit differently. And pe- now that people have all trails, they're pretty much all over the place, but I there's don't still want,
0: few. I don't want them to find those secret places I, because I have a couple that I know about, and I just think, I, I want to preserve this. Uh, is, the, I, is that too selfish? Should yeah, I not be thinking I'm, I'm that? Sort of,
3: I'm like that too, but I have to say, but there, there are places to go. So I encourage that. I also encourage people to volunteer. I have to tell you, if I can wield a hazel hoe and build trail, you can wield a hazel hoe. I
0: know I can wield one. I don't know if I should wield one. No,
3: you should. <laughs> you should. It's a, and, that, and really, it is a lot of fun, and you feel great at the end of that. I happen to have been president of the Carolina Mountain Club some years back, and the maintainers goaded me into coming out with them, and I fell in love with it. Now, I don't go every week, but I do try to go four or five times a year to maintain and it's so much fun.
0: Tom, where is Carolina Mountain Club focusing its attention right now?
1: I would say three different topics. First of all, you mentioned it's our 100th anniversary on July 16th, we're having a huge party at the Arboretum for from one to five for anybody that wants to show up and if you show up and say you're here for the party they are waiving the fee to get into the arboretum so it's like a speakeasy
0: You just knock yes. on the door and say i'm yes. here for the party yes. and that gets you in
1: we have 20 plus different vendors that will be displaying including conserving carolina friends of the mountains that G- trail our focus beyond that We have a couple of projects, so you mentioned the challenge with projects. One of the projects funded by the Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is to replace the observation platform up at Mount Pisgah. That was built in 1979 and is a bit worn out. So they've come to us, given us a generous grant of money to organize a project to go up there. We're gonna actually get a couple of rival high school football teams to help us carry the materials up that steep mountain. The other project I mentioned is We're gonna tear apart one of our 10 shelters on the Appalachian Trail, the Walnut Mountain Shelter, and we're gonna take the parts and pieces down to Hot Springs and rebuild it as a historical display. The challenge is it sits in Tennessee. We're moving it to North Carolina. It's an 85-year-old structure, so the state historic preservation offices in both states have to agree on this, along with the Two Forest Service. And so the, we started that project four years ago. We haven't pulled one dale out of it yet. So we're hoping to do that later this year.
0: One thing I wanted to ask, there's, now I know I'm missing the name of the trail, but there's supposed to be a new trail that's going to go on top of Asheville. But, but right, that's right. all
3: part of the Buncombe, Asheville-Buncombe Greenway plans. The Greenways go right up to the Mountains to Sea Trail, and that is the plan that you can go from one to the other and you can transition.
1: We just mentioned Deaverview, with the reputation Carolina Mountain Club has for design and building of trails, we're involved in that. But even more so with the new, Pis- new View State Park. It'll be the first state park in Buncombe County over in the west side of the county. And we are in early conversations about what those trails would look like, where they could go, et cetera. So look for that in 2025.
2: I did want to add that this is 2023, the year of the trail in North Carolina. So the North Carolina legislature designated this the year of the trail. And there are trail events in all 100 counties in North Carolina happening all the time. You can go to the Great Trail State Coalition website and they'll have those listed so you can find something near you.
0: Our new First Look newsletter gives you just a handful of daily headlines from around the local media landscape to get you on your morning. We also have a weekly newsletter devoted to all things The Overlook that hits you every Friday. Both are free and available at podavl.com slash newsletter. And please support the show by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Podcast. I want to thank my guests today, Tom Weaver of the Carolina Mountain Club, Rebecca Robinson of Conserving Carolina, and Marsha Bromberg of Friends of the Mountains to Sea Trail. Today's conversation happened inside the BB Theater in downtown Asheville, which owners Susan and Giles Collard have been so gracious enough to open to me to record my interviews. Our theme music for The Overlook, Maker's Song, comes courtesy of the Asheville band The Resonant Rogues. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes are available every Monday through Thursday morning. I'm Matt Pikin, and I'll see you
2: on the next episode of The Overlook.